Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Through the boulders of time, through season upon season, through the low cloud and high mists, beyond the hillside grazing, over the outcrops, toward the lighthouse, the sound of us, all here in the moon underwater. is nothing like Quizmas Day at the moon underwater when the pub is decked out in all its Quizmas finery and all the traditional Quizmas songs are playing. Like what? Oh, Step Into Quizmas. Right. Thank God It's Quizmas by Queen. Yeah. Um, All I Want For Quizmas. You know, just the classic hits, really. Yeah. Why is there such a Quizmasy feel today? Well, I don't know. The moon underwater <laughs> just sort of reveals itself before it's even revealed unto us. What do you do uh, on a quiz- on Christmas Day? Is it like Christmas Day? You sort of sit on your own for a bit in the afternoon? and Yeah, you sit on your own for a bit in the afternoon with a bumper book of quizzes and test your knowledge about London Underground stations, really. Good, lovely. But I think what the moon underwater is doing is, as you know, Robin, the moon underwater is very empathetic Mm. um, and it likes to set the scene for our guests every week, sometimes with, you know, flowing velvet, sometimes with uh, sort of beautiful amber liquids. Uh, But today it's got very much a Quizmas theme because Father Quizmas himself is on his way and in his sack uh, he's got our guest, but it is a very comfortable sack. Uh, and I think I can hear the sound of sleigh bells, which Father Quizmas and Father Christmas both have sleigh bells. You haven't you haven't really explained what Quizmas is. Well, it's the Quizmas Day, right? Okay. Sorry, stupid question. Yeah, what's your problem? <laughs> but anyway, I can hear the sleigh bells are tinkling, and as uh, the red nosed reindeer, which also is shared by Father Quizmas and Father Christmas. Uh, uh, arrives on the cobbled streets outside the moon and water. Our guest is at the door. Out of the sack he pops. It's Paul Sinner. Hello, Paul. 
Hello, I spotted the occasional quiz pun there. I don't know if I was I was picking something. And I love the fact that the re- only reason you were doing that is so you could plug a song by Queen in the process. <laughs> <laughs> o- always forever on brand. That's what I love about you, John. Oh, Paul, it's such a treat to have you here at the Moon Underwater. Do pull up a seat, uh, whatever type of seat you fancy. We've got them all here. Reclining, inclining seats, which are quite hard to sit on. And uh, pews, stools leatherette chairs, everything you want. Well, I'm imagining I'm in a pub on an England World Cup football night. Are and you? In that, and in that spirit, I'm not seating at, sitting at all. I'm just going to stand. I'm sta- standing uncomfortably. Right. Hugging strangers. Hugging strangers, that yeah. sort of thing, yes. Nice. Uh, well, there's no strangers here at the Moon Underwater. We're delighted to have you. Uh, are you looking forward to creating your dream pub? Uh, I've never been asked to before in my life, and... <laughs> And I'm very much a veteran of the pub without ever ever having been that picky about what a pub represents to me. So I don't think I take it as seriously as you do. Nonetheless, I do have opinions. Well, you're one of the great pub goers, in my opinion, because not only are you uh, a comedian, and a lot of the time we've spent together, we've spent in pubs. I remember doing Red Rose with you when Ronnie O'Sullivan beat Mark Selby in the final of the UK Championship uh, and made a one four seven. I remember how excited you were at the time as well. But that was a long, long time ago. Because, well, the fact that the red, the fact that it's with the red rose comedy dates the anecdote quite considerably. Well, that's just an example of Ronnie's incredible winning span and longevity. Yes, yes. I suppose. And also, we I think we first met next to a quiz machine in a bar, at least not in a pub. Indeed. Uh, happy days, the uh, heady August of 2006. Yes, in Edinburgh. But also, now you're sort of, most people know you as a, a quiz expert, not just um, on TV as the cinnamon on the chase, but also you're the, you're the quiz champion. I'm certainly highly ranked at the uh, art, if you want to call it an art of quiz, and that does take me to a, a lot of pubs. Uh, although not as many as I've been to through the purposes of comedy, to be fair. So I think in terms of the actual number of pubs, comedy comes first. And even ahead of comedy and quizzing is just the art of sitting with your friends and getting pleasantly drunk, which is the main reason I love a pub. So at what point as a professional quizzer do you leave the pub and enter a much more sort of strict, regimented quizzing situation? Because you were telling me a while back about the the quiz championship that you won and it wasn't loads of people sat round tables saying can you read that again or what was question four no it, it was it was the next level up it was the social club i'm very much a veteran of the social club quizzing is in its reality one of the least glamorous uh hobbies you can take seriously it's up there with bridge and bingo really and and um it although Everyone likes a drink. Uh, not many uh, pubs are big enough to sort of get hired out. You have to really hire out a pub so that no non-muggles, as we call mm. them, don't interfere and start shouting out answers and this, that and the other. I imagine it as being like every time I go to a pub quiz, the best I can do is come like second or third because there's always one team who always win every week. So I imagine the championship is all of those teams who always come first from around the country coming together? Well, I, I do a lot of different types of quizzing, and actually the one that involves the most in the way of pubs is uh, qu- the Quiz League of London, which takes place in a sort of a lonely upstairs function room of a pub. 
sometimes very nice, sometimes extremely basic. But that's that's my main uh, that's my main in on pubs at the moment is that every Tuesday night in the in, in the football de- uh, month, so it's a September to May season. Uh, every Tuesday night, I play in, in in the upstairs function room of a pub. Sometimes there's no function room, and you play in the corner of a pub, and you try and concentrate while the rest of the pub are having their life and ignoring you. And not even noticing that you exist, which is a slightly weird situation. <laughs> Has being a recognisable face of quizzing sort of ruined the uh, regular pub quiz hustle? Yeah, I've got no- I've got nothing I've I've got nothing to gain. I've got nothing to gain by turning up a pub quiz because everyone wants to beat me, and if I win, they hate me, and if I lose, they laugh in my face. So uh, I've got nothing to gain. So I- my husband Oliver, who, as you know, is an incredibly capable quizzer as well, has this life away from me. Well, he doesn't let me interfere with his chances of, of doesn't let me interfere with his chances of winning pub quizzes. He's actually part of quite quite a unit that go around and scavenge large amounts of money from pubs across the, <laughs> across the land. Pub quiz pet peeves, though. What what are some things you really dislike in a pub quiz? I, I'll start. I hate when people say choose the team name universally challenged. Just be more well, original. Uh, and any any sort of much uh, any sort of hackneyed overused team name, but really the main thing I don't like about it is there's so much cheating and there's not a lot you can do about it. And the problem with the cheating as well is the more the jackpot, the higher the rate of cheating. And so I'd I'd, I'd rather just uh, not think about it and not really go. To, I don't really go to pub quizzes now. It's, I, my my presence there is never appreciated. I love hosting them. Yeah. Can I put you in a hypothetical pub quiz scenario, which I found myself in once in The Signal, which was hosted by the stand-up Jerry Howell? Uh, he leant over to have a chat, and I saw the answer sheet, used an answer in my answers, and we ended up winning the quiz. Should I go to prison? No, no, no. That was an accidental cheat. There was nothing. You, there was nothing you could do to stop yourself from cheating. Anybody in your position would have done the same. In, in fact, you're you're the hero of the hour rather than the villain of the hour for for owning up to it in in years to come. Thank you, thank you. Starting a conversation about how hosting could be improved. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to create an ungoogleable quiz that would that would also satisfy a pub quiz sort of desire? I think puzzles is one way of doing it. What 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 do the following have in common? And and during the pandemic, I wrote a lot. Of, I wrote a lot of uh, music connections quizzes, shall we say? So you might have Umbrella by Rihanna, Fame by David Bowie, and something by the Police. And what they've got in common is they can all be followed by Academy, Fame Academy, Umbrella Academy, and Police. Something like that is fairly ungoogleable. Yeah, for, for instance, a little bit of lateral thinking, but. In general, I think it just has, it just has to be that the pub quiz jackpot can't be too much, otherwise the temptation to cheat is just massive. You, you can almost hardly blame someone if there's a thousand pound jackpot for going well. Let's cheat. Yeah. Well, are there pub quizzes with a thousand pound jackpots? There are. You'd have to ask my husband about it because I don't know anything about them. But yes, there are. Wow. It usually involves the winner coming out to answer. The winning team sending someone up to answer one question for a thousand pounds, and normally is what all you have to answer ten out of ten in the jackpot round or something like that. It's not just winning the quiz gets you a thousand pounds. You've got to do something after that. Right. Uh, achieve some sort of feat. Hello, fans of Pub and Pint. I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and now for the first time, a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, 
so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with Yours Sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, let's dive straight in uh, to your dream pub. We might talk about what it's going to look like later on. But first off, uh, Paul, we want two draft items from you. Well, the first thing to say uh, is that I like cold drinks and I like hot drinks. And I have have no real appetite for tepid drinks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a result, I can't buy into the whole camera philosophy of real ale. I have always been, since I started drinking, somebody who prefers his drinks refreshing and cold. And that will inform pretty much all of my answers uh, today. My, my, my first drink is called Fruly. Um It's a strawberry-flavoured Belgian beer. And I just really, really like it. But I think the other thing is there's, I only ever drink it in a particular pub in near, next to Borough Market. And so it reminds me that I'm with I'm with friends that I really like. There's a sort of Pavlovian thing where I go into the pub and go, "Oh, it's that strawberry beer that I really like," um, and I, I never have it anywhere else. I never see it anywhere else. I googled it before the show, and it doesn't appear to be particularly well known. But it's strawberry flavored beer, and it's strong, and it gets me drunk quick. That's the other thing is I do like to get drunk quickly. I think with the cost of living as it is at the moment. You have to be practical about your choices of beer. There's no justification for drinking 4% beer now. <laughs> oh, that's a big statement. <laughs> the amount that you, you, you've got to be economical with your decisions and you need to, you need to spend the minimum amount to get drunk. So um, fru- Fruly is my first choice. As I said, number one, because I don't drink it very anywhere in particular other than this particular pub in Borough Market. Number two, it's genuinely, genuinely lovely and not like any other beer that I've tasted. And thirdly, it just reminds me of being with friends that I really like, including one birthday party. Well, I, I should point out, Paul, you're, you're right to say that um, 
uh, there's no reason to drink 4% beer because Fruley is 4.1%. Uh, <laughs> oh, is it only 4.1% yeah. <laughs> yes. after, after all that? It's a, pop, it's a popular choice as well in the Moon Underwater. Suze Kempner has chosen Fruley. Has she? Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, I, I thought there was someone else, but I can see it's you. Someone is updating the spreadsheet as we speak, uh, which is probably uh, producer Matt. That's, but... no, that's, no, that's the Moon Underwater updates the spreadsheet oh, as we go. Automatically. That's very clever. However, a few people have chosen something very similar, which is Creek. Creek, yeah. Oh, yes, Cherry. cherry yeah, people. Cherry I'm, Creek. I don't think I've ever had it. Very nice. I actually had a Strawberry Creek last week and a Raspberry Creek, uh, and very nice they were too. Uh, okay, so first off, we've got uh, Fruitly Strawberry on draft. And what's your second draft? The second one took a while to choose. Um, but I, my philosophy is that when everyone goes on holiday, they always fondly remember the beers that they had. They can drink these beers in this country as well. There's no need for that adventure with internationalism to end. <laughs> and so, so my second choice is a rather expensive lager, Asahi from Japan. Uh, and for number one, it's absolutely delicious. But number two, it was the only thing on offer at the pub where I had my 40th birthday party in um, 2010. And so I have very, very fond memories of sinking into sinking into oblivion uh, purely, <laughs> purely on Asahi. Hey, but you're not 52. I am 52. Yeah. No way. Absolutely. Uh, you know what they say, brown don't crack or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Asahi's, uh, you see it a lot more in London uh, these days, and it's, it does feel like sometimes it's the most reliable lager to go from for, I think. It's very refreshing. I've not done the stats on reliability, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. But it's, the, it's that combination of getting you drunk and having happy memories. And literally, it was the only, it, there was a Japanese-styled beer in Shoreditch, a very fashionable, fashionable place that I hired out for my birthday, and that was the only beer they served. And so I have happy memories of it. Very nice. Now let's let's talk a bit about what this pub might look like because it, in a in a former life we had a very not full that's the wrong phrase on a different podcast <laughs> we had a really interesting conversation about how when you started visiting gay pubs in Soho it wasn't for you a sort of moment of divine revelation it was actually you you found that those pubs weren't quite for you. So I wondered if you could sort of s- speak on that and tell us what your dream pub might look like. Well, I, I'm not... An, uh, I mean, obviously, this country is packed to the rafters with aesthetically beautiful pubs. And, it, it, it you know, it cheers the soul and it feels life-affirming to walk into one. But that's not to say that I can't enjoy the the an ugly pub. It, it, for me, the look of a pub is not that important, not compared to company and service and friendliness of service and seat availability. Uh, the look of a pub is, yeah, it, it's a bonus. Mm. I mean, on the way to doing a gig in Huntingdon last year, we took a diversion and went to a pub by the River Great Ooze that was like the most beautiful pub I'd ever seen in my life inside. And it was great, but it doesn't change the fact that uh, it's, you judge a pub on its service and its beer. But also... If you're going to get hammered, you don't necessarily want it to be a beautiful pub because you feel like it might, <laughs> you'd feel like you might be despoiling it. If you, you might be despoiling it somewhat, uh, a beautiful pub is for a couple of is for a couple of beers before or after a gig, uh, just to wind it wind down, I suppose, after a gig. But uh, I'd, I'd actually prefer if I'm going the whole hog, a less beautiful and more pragmatic and functional and efficient pub. 
I don't think people I don't think people in general go to the beautiful pubs for the for the intoxication. Well, I have a, a hunch that people who like beautiful pubs tend to be ale drinkers. Yeah, I think you may be right there. Those pubs tend to sort of take more care with the selection and quality of their ales whereas if you are a lager drinker or a cider drinker, like a sort of draft sparkling cider drinker, the quality of the pub doesn't necessarily change the quality of the drink you're having. No, exactly. Mm. Um, but I, 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 feel, I, I always feel slightly guilty in a beautiful pub. I, I, I think what I, particularly when I'm going overseas and drinking, is I prefer a small... I think in this country I often prefer a larger pub. And if you're going overseas, I think I prefer the intimacy of a, of a, of a, of a basement pub um, everyone a bit more closed in. Everyone feeling that like they might be sharing a, a closely guarded secret about how good this place is. But the aesthetics are not the first. They're, not, they're very much not the first thing I look for. Not least because we don't usually get much choice in where we end up drinking. It, it's, it's it's very rare in life that it's that much of an active choice. We go where we're we're told. <laughs> Um, and I, I suppose what I really like is just a little bit of breathing space, um, especially post-pandemic. The idea of being absolutely jam-packed uh, is not quite as alluring as it, as it used to be. In terms of the gay, bar, gay pubs and gay bars, though, it, was, it wasn't the aesthetics that was the issue, it was the music. Right. But you, So you were going to those pubs and finding that they weren't actually catering for, for you. They were catering to a sort of... Uh, a certain section of the gay community. Yeah, those gregarious enough to go out and enjoy gay life with a capital G without any inhibitions, uh, but also quite a homogenous pop cultural outlook. Um, I'm trying to write material about it at the moment, actually, for the for the show, about how I was astonished to find that the lingua franca, musically speaking, of of gay pubs when I started going out was Bananarama. <laughs> and it, I, I'd see an entire pub lose their shit over Bananarama. And it's like, but it's just those three pleasant singers, isn't it? <laughs> I, had no, I, I had no idea they were iconic. And, uh, you know, you, you see, I mean, I once deliberately put Radiohead on a jukebox <laughs> in a gay pub in, gay pub in Manchester and, and people genuinely seemed angry. <laughs> so do you think there's a market for sort of more gay indie pubs or gay metal pubs well it's interesting because i think that there was in the 90s and in the noughties but gay life isn't as rich and varied gay nightlife is not as rich and varied and busy and at the cutting edge as it used to be because fewer people go out it's just like stand-up comedy just like music gigs just like every everything live um, there's been a drop off in the number of users, and so when you, when I, I wouldn't criticise a gay pub at all now for whatever they, whatever they chose to do to try and get the punters in, because especially with apps making it a lot easier to meet people than than I mean you've got to remember that at least fifty percent of people who were going out to gay pubs were doing so in order to try and find someone, as opposed to just hang around with their mates, and now that that's been commodified into very sophisticated apps, uh, fewer people go out to pubs, so. Uh, although I didn't enjoy my my first experiences of gay pubs, I wouldn't criticise them now because, like everyone else, they're, str- they're struggling to stay afloat. Mm. So, what sort of music were you listening to uh, in in the nineties? What was the sort of stuff that you wanted to hear when you went out that that wasn't there? Well, it was a mixture actually, and bizarrely enough, 
in the early nineties, you had boy, you had the emergence of British boy bands like Take That and These Seventeen, and and they weren't hitting the game pub market either. The, the, the common touch with the common factor with linking all the gay pubs was the Stock Aitken and Waterman Encyclopedia. It was very much Kylie. It was very much uh, Dead or Alive. It was it was, and then later on Steps. Um, I mean, I went to something called the Attitude Awards. Attitude being Britain's biggest gay magazine last year and it's quite surreal tom allen was hosting and doing a very good job of it and you had billy porter doing this incredible inspiring speech at the end when when being awarded this icon award they got the whole uh, whole room on their feet and then as soon as he was off tom allen said and now steps <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the and the place went absolutely batshit yeah. again um and and so i mean i I had a sort of various levels of coming out and very much take t- t- the, the, the emergence of boy bands in the 1990s as part of that. But I found they weren't nearly as popular in gay pubs as you might think. And then there was the more serious music like Nirvana and Britpop and, and, and the Smiths and that sort of thing that would, ha- would not be seen anywhere on, 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 in gay pubs at all. And as I said, when it, even you try and put it on the jukebox, you get short thrift from the rest of, rest of the pub. So what is it that makes a musician specifically become a sort of gay icon or well played in gay nightclubs or gay pubs? Because as a straight guy, if you say, oh, this band are big in the gay scene, I get it, but I wouldn't necessarily be able to call it. So I wouldn't necessarily have thought Steps would become such a big deal. Steps, S Club 7, Banana Armour, as I said, it's not always the, it's not always the obvious ones. And it's got very much got a female, uh, very much a strong female aesthetic. Uh, very, very quickly, a, a singer emerges, a female singer will emerge and start off as a heterosexual sex symbol and end up being a gay icon. With it, it's normally zero to about six to eight months. I mean, if you look at Brit, if you look at say Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera's fan base now, there's such a massive gay male. Section of that compared to the straight men who first embraced the singers because of how hot they were considered to be. So I think being fe- being female and even more than that, being seen as a fighter, a survivor. I think like Madonna, Cher, Madonna. You know, the, the biggest gay singing icons have been fe- women with longevity. Whether it's Madonna or Cher, Madonna's probably the ultimate, uh, but Cher and Barbra Streisand and. And Lady Lady Gaga would, would be the, would be the next one to take on the mantle of being truly iconic. I remember once working in a in a in a bar in Bristol, which was called Bar Unlimited. It's not there anymore. And it was there was a gay night, and I was behind the bar. And the first thing they did when they came in was put an Anastasia DVD on. <laughs> do you remember Anastasia? <laughs> I do remember of, Anastasia. Kind of dates it, but uh, yeah, that was. Um, and I thought, I guess I had a similar thing where I thought, oh, I didn't realise that that you know she was kind of. Well, I've just seen the Pet Shop Boys twice in a week, uh, and um, it was not. It felt a bit like a gay reunion, but the reality was that in the eighties and nineties, they weren't what was being played. Mm, mm. If anything, they were too. They were too art. They were too artsy. For that, for that, for that crowd, it's kind of too arch or too kind of arch. Yeah. I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And and likewise, the Smiths, because there's a great undercurrent of kind of gay culture to a lot of Morrissey's lyrics, but they wouldn't necessarily get played in a, a gay club, as it were. And certainly not now. Certainly not now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and I guess like Kylie straddles the Stock Aitken Waterman and the sort of longevity. Very much so. 
I mean, I think the big three are probably Lady Gaga, Madonna, and Kylie. They're, they're, the, they're the three the, the three true giants of gay iconry. Poor poor old Anastasia, just fallen poor off. Poor old Anastasia, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, fun pub quiz fact, Lady Gaga takes uh, her name from a Queen song. Which uh, one? <laughs> <laughs> one Vision. <laughs> uh, just, I'm just trying to work. Yeah, Sweet Lady. There is a Queen song with Lady in the title. The Rolodex is in good working order. That's nice. Sweet Sweet Lady is not as bad as it sounds. It sounds like a kind of uh, sort of um, Spinal Tap type song, but it's it's a great rocker. I was going to say, I was listening... Sorry, this is such a detour, but we were listening to Queen Greatest Hits in the car the other day, and Fat Bottom Girls is rubbish. It's, br- it's oh, complete rubbish. <laughs> Why is it rubbish? It's just... You must, you must have some songs you don't care for by Queen, surely. Uh, do you know what? I I don't really... I'm not a huge fan of Radio Gaga itself. I'm also not a huge fan of the Miracle... I'm not a huge fan of the Miracle album. And I mean, this is on like a sliding scale of... I still love it, but yeah, Radio Gaga is not one of my favourite ones. Crazy Little Thing Called Love is probably my one of my least favourite Queen songs. That's interesting. Yes. I quite like Radio Gaga. Yeah, me too. Big, big chords, yeah. big <laughs> obvious chords. I like, I like it. So two more choices uh, before a big moment in this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. What are your bottles and cans? Uh, right. I'm not specific on the bottle in, in, in number one. Well, we'll start with the one I am specific. Copperberg, of all things. Why not? I got into Copperberg uh, in the summer of 2009 when I was at Edinburgh and me and Jeff Norcott during the Ashes would find the only pub in Edinburgh where we could sit and watch um, cricket. Is that the bank? Is it called uh, the bank? No, I can't remember what it was called now. But uh, Lemon Tree, the Lemon Tree. The Lemon Tree. That's the it. Lemon Tree. And I just really, really liked it. And uh, as somebody who's had a very difficult relationship with cider over the years, and it, it seems to have contributed to some of my worst nights out as a student in terms of uh, just misjudging the pace. Um, it's nice to drink cider for pleasure. Uh, it, it being an afternoon and me still having a show to do, it's like six, six o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever time it was. Uh, so Copperberg would be my first one. Is that just the regular pair Copperberg? Yeah, the regular pair Copperberg. And was I that really, the year, if memory serves me right, that Copperberg were actually sort of had a lot of branding in and around Edinburgh? I think it must have been. Yeah. I want to say two thousand seven for that. Really? Because. Yeah, I remember going up there, staying with you, John, and it was big then. But I don't think I could drink a Copperberg now. Too powerful. Straight back to the past. What? What in terms of the nostalgia yeah. or the sugar? The nostalgia. Wow. <laughs> well, me and Robin have this. Well, it's not really a theory; it's just an observation uh, that when drinks want to rebrand themselves, they start at the Edinburgh Festival because yeah. there was the Copperberg years, the Magnus years, oh yeah, the Apparel Spritz year. And then the Disarono year. Yeah. Wow, there was a Disarono year. There was it, a Disarono year in Edinburgh. Was that the year that everyone won the panel prize? Was, that the year that we, <laughs> was it the year we don't talk about? <laughs> Great. Yeah, I have very fond memories of Copperberg, but I haven't 
it would be probably a last chance saloon if I was looking for a cider now, just because I find it too sweet on the teeth. The non-alcoholic one is worth a go if you're not it's drinking. It's very good. It's very nice. Well, yeah. I didn't realise when I, well, I've got Copperberg and Fruly, so there's some there's something about the sh- the sugar high that I mm. that I enjoy with my beer. Uh, so, what would be your second choice? Uh, so this comes back to the fact that uh, I don't like tepid drinks. I don't ever drink red wine unless it's all that's left at the end of a corporate on someone else's table um uh, I, I and i love white wine by contrast i love white wine and very specifically uh i love a dry I, ironically given how much sugar i've been craving thus far in the thing i like a sharp refreshing cold dry white wine so much that i have to really 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 watch myself on a night out because it gets me drunk very quickly I had myself a beer and a glass of white wine between on Saturday night during the Champions League final during the delay. Yeah. Uh, in the tw- in the twenty minutes before kickoff, and I was gone by the time the whistle <laughs> the, the whistle went to start the game. Uh, I like a dry white wine, and I particularly like uh, Sauvignon Blanc. So, is there a specific one that you would go to if you were in a a supermarket with a big selection. I judge it very much on the country and the price. Yeah, I tend to eschew eschew Europe and go for something a little bit more fashionable. So Chile, Argentina, New Zealand, and Australia would be would be would be my choices. Just for a sense of adventure rather than anything. I'm not an enologist. I just know that I like getting drunk on white wine, and it gives me it gives me a a headache in the morning that's nowhere near as bad as the one I get on red wine. But I, I, I know that I'm a Philistine and I know that it's my issue with red wine and I know that wine experts have good reasons to love red wine. But as I said earlier, give me a cold drink or a hot drink, but not something in between. <laughs> uh, and I, I really love the refreshing nature of uh, really... It's, it's one of the few drinks that I would happily spend more than an average amount of money on. What, what are you, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to steer you towards a specific brand but don't worry if you don't have one but is there one that's your like your go-to Marlborough, Marlborough. New Zealand but then I, I have happy me- recollections of New Zealand as, the, as a country and I'm a big fan of the nation and that's part part of the, the bias of it I'm not an enologist I just love I I, 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 I find the uh, theories behind what wine you buy in a supermarket to take to a dinner party quite interesting because mine has to be over 10 pounds but preferably not under tw- uh but preferably under 20 pounds i think there's, there's a zone is it there's a z- financial zone where you don't look too flash and you don't you don't look too cheap um and have you ever been swung by a label you think oh that's a nice label yeah all the time I and mean, that's the whole point of advertising yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah uh, I mean, I, I I don't drink wine in pubs as a rule. I do start drinking wine when I'm when I'm already quite drunk on a lager, and need something to psychologically speed speed me up further down the line. <laughs> uh, that's when I tend to drink white white wine in a pub. Well, thanks to the lovely Robin, I'm now a convert to the Sancerre, which is a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, French Sauvignon Blanc and if you're ever looking for that between 10 and 20 pound slightly impressive but not too flash Sauvignon Blanc I can wholly recommend a Sancerre I'm getting thirsty just thinking about the entire, <laughs> the entire complete package <laughs> okay then so so far in Paul Sinar's dream pub we have Fruly, Strawberry Fruly on draft and Asahi on draft 
we have bottles of Copperberg pear cider and a dry Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. But a lot of pressure now on <laughs> the lovely Robin as we head over to the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thanks, John. Welcome to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. And really, how is it possible to prepare a quiz for the one and only Cineman? Well, the answer is to do some research, to discover his weaknesses. <laughs> so <laughs> I messaged former guest of the Moon Underwater, Jenny Ryan, a.k.a. the Vixen. Oh, did you? <laughs> to ask what questions might undo Paul. She said, if you want to catch him out, then anything involving visualisation. Yes, very true. Things like the, the colours of flags always give him pause. Picture rounds are his nemesis. <laughs> That's very, very accurate indeed. I'm kind of flattered that she knows she knows me that well. <laughs> However, we're a bit limited by picture rounds here at the Moon Underwater, but I have opted for five fiendish flag questions. Okay, so it's five questions about flags. And many thanks to my best buddies in a pub quiz, which is Josh Fitzgerald and Phil Shaw, who are real experts in a flag round in a pub this quiz. This is literally my weakest <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've got five questions, and then we'll um, do the answers in part two. Okay, so start with a reasonably easy one. Question one, which country's flag is a mirror image of the Irish flag? Which country's flag is a mirror image of the Irish flag? Okie dokie. Question two, which three European countries' flags are made up of vertical stripes of, from left to right, blue, yellow, and red. Uh, two of the three also have coats of arms. So it's three European countries' flags made up of vertical stripes of, from left to right, blue, yellow, and red. Question three. The flag of which African country is a green pentagram against a red background? The flag of which African country is a green pentagram against a red background? Question four. I like this one. This is from Phil. What are the only two countries that have square flags? The only two countries that have square flags. And this is... I really like this one. <laughs> Question five. Which country's flag is flown upside down to indicate that it is in a state of war? Which country's flag is flown upside down to indicate that it is in a state of war? So five flag questions. Okay, that's quite a lot to take it on is, board. Isn't it? I'm going to yeah. need some time there. Of course, yeah. How are you feeling about that, Paul? Uh, not great, as you might imagine. <laughs> I think there's possibly two that I know. I can't even picture one flag that's uh, got red, yellow and blue with verticals, vertical stripes. Okay, this is good stuff, man. They're really good questions. All right, okay. I'll I'll think during the break. Uh, but folks, we are about to leave part one of the Moon Underwater with Paul Sinha. And uh, just a reminder to head to patreon.com uh, forward slash moonunderpod or moonunderpod.com itself to find out how you can support this pub, but also gain access to super special treats such as the monthly bonus podcast Behind the Cellar Door, 
and also advance warning and advance access to live shows. And some of those are coming up very soon. We can't wait to see you there. But on those flag-based tenter hooks, we will leave you and join us for part two. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.